Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. If you were here last Sunday morning and you had to listen to me sing and preach last week and then do it again this week, I apologize. It was largely circumstantial due to the, the men's camp happening last week and guys away and this week some same shifting and shaping where it is good, but it's a real privilege. And um, if, if there's anyone to blame for the words forgotten a song, it's my wife. <laughs> just, I've just got to get other because she told me to sing that song and I said yes. And as a band, we practiced and pra- we literally only practiced that song. And I, I, it's, it's happened to me once before, just once, but it happened to be in a conference. When you get thrown a song at the last minute, they say, please do this song. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? And you're singing, and you're just strumming the same note, saying, I don't know. I can't hear. And you look at the guy next to you, and they've got those in-ear, in-ear things. What do you call those in-ear micro, um, monitors? So they look at you, they're going, <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not putting that on me. So why don't we just have a hand for Adele? Thank you, Justin. And... Uh, just to clarify, because the home group leaders are all freaked out, and like, I've got to clean my house. It's not Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at Life Groups. What we're doing is, is, as we meet, we do this twice a year, generally in the rhythm of the life of the church, early in the year in February and once in September, where we come together, we would fast normally for three days, fasting, and we would come together in the evening to pray together from Hopper 6 to Hopper 7 here at the church, where we believe in corporate prayer, we believe there's power in us gathering, we are still going to do that on Tuesday and Thursday night. We're going to gather here. But there's such life and momentum in fast track that we didn't want to pull people out of life groups. So we're going to say in your life groups, in your smaller groups, in life groups, get together, have a feast together, pray together, and watch the life group video together, the, the, the fast track. So Tuesday night, Hopper 6 here, bring and share which is, is, is a foreign concept to some. I know that. I, I, I met some friends in Durban. They, 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 they have all the fridge in their food. Hello, you know the story. They have all the fridge, food in their fridge, and they come to share other people's food. A bring and share is a demonstration of the goodness of God to us together. And we get to do life together, sometimes overreaching for that chicken wing, and someone else reaches for that same chicken wing. You find a friend, and they go, no, you have it. And you go, no, you have it. And then some kid comes past and grabs it while you guys are talking. That's called bring and share. And we're going to feast. And I would really encourage you, part of it is that we would feast and, and trust God for faith to bring him more than just what you need. Bring what someone else might need. Because in this community, there are people who go home to fridges that aren't full. And in this community, there are people that go home to multiple fridges that are very full. And actually, that's what community is. But when I look at gospel and when I look at the Bible, I see actually that community come together and we work it out. And we make sure that people are fed. We make sure that he is, he is displayed to the world in and through his sign and wonder called the church. So we get to do that together this week, Tuesday here, Hopper 6, Wednesday night in your life groups. And I will say that there's been actual wonderful life. Oh, thank you. I was just going to kick it at them like this. I was gonna... Thank you. That's all good. And, um, and, uh, and uh, she's not praying, if you wondered. She's just cleaning the mess that Edwin made. But Wednesday nights here, there are life groups called Fast Track Joining and a break up into smaller groups. It's going to continue as we continue the Fast Track story. I, I love the Fast Track story. 
amazing feedback that we're getting of people growing. People who've been in the church for years saying to be equipped, to be taught the basics, the foundations, and to grow and to engage around these things is super helpful. So that's really, really wonderful. And that's happening this week, Tuesday and Thursday night here, Wednesday night in life groups. Good. Wonderful. Just to clarify that. I want to start off a little different this morning. And I, I, I have a new hero in the faith. And I have said it before, and I want to say it again, and I want us to pray for her this morning. Her name's Claudia Berger, and I saw Candace and Sean. Is it Sean? Up top there, um, Claudia's daughter. But I've been messaging Claudia. We have a, an amazing 73-year-old single lady who felt the call of God to go to Georgia. And at first I was like, okay, sounds good. But she, she got it together. She booked the flight. And she got on a plane to Georgia. And she has walked cobblestones, dragging a bag. And she stayed in hostels and met a lady from Serbia and a lady from Croatia and, and led the one lady to the Lord and then met with an Orthodox um, pastor of a church of 7,000 to pray for him and support. And she's just on a mission with Jesus. When we asked her to speak at our, at our leader's time, we said, Claudia, come up and tell us. She said, actually, I'd love... I'd love to die at the hands of ISIS for Jesus. Maybe that freaks you out. When I look at the gospel and radical Christianity of Acts, the book of Acts, it's radical. And we use words like not safe, not secluded, not sanitized Christianity. We don't want that Christian. We want passionate. We need heroes to stand up. So actually, the unlikely hero sometimes, a 73-year-old grandmother who's got grandkids here in Cape Town who chooses to travel to the other side of the world. Right now, I can't even tell you the name. It's Tbilisi or something. It's the capital of Georgia. It borders Turkey, Armenia, and Russia. She looks out the window of the hostel she's staying in, looks straight into a concrete factory, concrete making factory. They work till eight o'clock every night, six days a week. It's a town full of men, and the hostel she's staying in this morning she told me, I have a strong suspicion it's more than a hostel. <laughs> and for the first couple of days there, correct me if I'm wrong, Candice, the door didn't lock to her room because they don't allow the doors to rock, lock. A 73-year-old grandmother. And I think we have a responsibility as a church to lift her up right now. Yeah. To pray for her right now, pray for protection. But actually, when I asked her, I said, Claudia, what would you want us to pray for? She didn't say protection. She didn't say better accommodation. She didn't say a door that doesn't look onto a factory. She said, can you pray that God would soften the hearts of men and women, that they might get saved? And she mentions the name of the owners of the hostel. She says, pray for them. Can we stand together? I know it's been a different service, but, but, but we need people to call us to more. We need, and God's going to raise them from within our ranks to get us outside of these walls and into a world story that might have a bit of danger to it and might have... But I, it'll be amazing with Jesus. So can we lift our hands right now? We say, Father, as a community, we lift up this amazing gift and this lady, Claudia. And I pray, God, you would answer her prayers. I pray for revival in that city. I pray for revival in the capital of Georgia through an amazing lady named Claudia Berger, 73 years old. Would you use her life? her story, her sacrifice, her willingness to go for you, God. And would you start a revival fire in that place? I ask for salvation upon a salvation. I ask for important people in that city, as you did in the book of Acts. Will you bring important people across her path? And would you reveal the gospel? And would the gospel grip her, grip people and grip important people? Would you grip people on the concrete works and allow revival to come in that place? Or in the hostel, God, I pray, for salvation to flow at this time, God. 
I pray be with her, give wisdom to her, give clarity to her, God. I pray give strength, and I pray for signs and wonders, God. I pray for signs and wonders on the streets of Georgia at this time. Signs and wonders on the street where there's chaos in government, but you can bring your kingdom. We ask and we declare that as, your, as her family in this church, but as your people, God, we say amen. Do it, King. Thank you, God. Thank you, guys. You can take your seats. Thank you. And this morning we are between series. Last week I had the incredible privilege of speaking around relationships and friendship, kingdom friendship. Can I just make a quick statement on that? I, I get feedback of many kinds from preachers sometimes, but actually the feedback I've got from that preacher has probably struck me the most. And I've realized that actually we've got to do some work. Because people don't have friends, because God is calling us to a kingdom mandate that demands this relational dynamic that's not of this world. It's different. It's different. And it's hard. And I want to ask, if there was a chord struck in you in that preach, or if you didn't, I never do this, if you didn't get a chance to hear it, would you listen to it? Because God is calling a community, a community of friends, a community who do life together, a community who share in life together, a community who celebrate the ups and walk with each other in the downs and call out on God, calling that community to impact the world. And I would ask that, and if God did speak and do something in your heart, would you, would you follow up that stuff? Don't stay lonely, friends. If you're lonely, cry out to someone. Because God says he puts the lonely into families. It's the promise of his word. It's not my dream for the church. It's his promise. Let's get in to our families. And today is another, we're going to kick off a, a series next week, which I'm very, very excited about. It's called No Matter What, in and through the book of Philippians. And we've been looking at that for a while. But this morning, I want to, we, are, we are entering, and sometimes we just shoot into these fasts, and we shoot into these times of prayer together, and we think people know what we're on about when we say the word prayer. We think the church have an appetite for it. We think that within the church, because we get saved, there's an appetite to commune with God. And my, my if our very honest assessment of the global church, and, and sometimes on a local level, when I sit with people, there isn't the appetite, I think, when I look at the word. And so last week it was friendship, and this week it's just saying, let's look at the word and see what God calls and what, do, ch- what God does when the church prays. So this morning is called When the Church Prays. And this week is an incredible time. We normally do fast, and I know there's fasting through the word. You know what? There's also throughout the Bible? Feasting. Feasting. There's probably more feasting than fasting. And so we are, we are not dropping the ball on prayer at all, and we are not taking our eyes off. We are saying, actually, as a community, God is wanting us to celebrate, and He's wanting us to do a couple of things. He's wanting us to remind us of His lavish love. Maybe it's the chicken wing that'll do that for someone. But we have a God who is lavish. We have a God whose who's, who's question to us, then He calls us to keep asking the Father, is not, is that enough? His question is, how much more? The Father in heaven. If though fathers on this earth can get good gifts, how much more the Father in heaven? That's the question we get called by the word to ask. Feasting reminds us of our unbelievable access to God, that we can worship. We can worship the living God. It astounds me still. It's unbelievably lavish. That feasting reminds us of the end of the story, that we don't have to live in fear and anxiety. One of the things that I'm trusting for breakthrough in this community this week is fear and anxiety. If you are fearful, if you are anxious, if you go to sleep at night and these things are on you, 
If the first thing you have to do is wake up and check something because of anxiety, you need to pray this week because I'm trusting for breakthroughs in this area. And it reminds us to be like our generous Father. So we get to do that this week. Some practicals, we start at 6.30. Please bring your kids. I've got three. I know it's a cost. I know it's hard. I know you've got to pack things, like little toys for them to play with. But I know that my kids growing up in the presence of God will change their lives like nothing else can. And I know that a hard sacrifice for a parent is an investment into a child. And so I just put that to you as a fellow parent, and I would encourage you to partake in this thing. And it's tough, and we can see we'll make rooms available for them to do homework and, and whatever. It's an hour, half a six to half a seven. We'll pray for 40 minutes, and we'll feast for 20, 30 minutes after that together. Is that good? Wonderful. You're all looking at me like, look, yes, you've given us all these announcements. That guy with the good looks gave us all the announcements. God calling us to something, friends. I want to boast in my wife for a second. For her to get up and call us to high praise right now is quite a thing for her because she's struggling with some pain. And uh, there's doctors are trying to work, so I'm not trying to make more of it than it is. But we've got to understand this thing of worshiping the King of Kings. We've got to get beyond religion. We've got to get beyond doing something for God so maybe He'll do something for us. We've got to step into the more, just to know Him, to be known by Him, to live a life where, where I know the living God and that settles my fear and my anxiety because I know Him. And let us walk into more. I, I don't know how you entered it. I don't know what condition you entered in. I, I trust that, that we, we do our best to know, but we don't know the condition of every sheep every time we come together and every person comes. To, but God does. The Father does. And He calls us to worship Him. So why corporate prayer? Well, God teaches His disciples to pray. He says, Our Father... It's pretty hard to say our father when you're sitting on your own. It's like sitting on a bench saying our rugby game. It's a little bit weird. God calls us into community to pray together. And when he teaches us to pray, he uses language like our father. There is a communal powerful story in this thing. And, and I grew up in a church that had communal prayer. We had weekly prayer meetings. And it was very much part of the culture. And it was very much statements like, you look at your prayer meeting, you'll see the health of the church. I've seen some funny things in prayer meetings. Six, seven hundred people praying. Uh, one of the first things I remember going like a 16-year-old, took me like two years. I went to church, and for two years, I didn't go to the prayer meeting. I thought, that's for like the serious dudes. You've got to be seriously involved to get a prayer meeting. So I started 14, 16, I went to the prayer meeting, and, and this, um, I, one of the elders was leading. He's a beautiful pastor man. His name's Nick Kutsudis, and, and he was leading the prayer meeting. And this lady, the, the, actually not a lady, a guy walked up, and, and I could see some debate was going on, and they gave him the microphone, it's about six, seven hundred people praying. And this guy, God is with him, he's on him, he starts to sing. I just called to say I love you. And the really zealous people in are like, yes, we're just calling. Most people didn't go with him. But I've seen some pretty funny things in prayer meetings. Uh, uh, Andrew Thompson, who leads church on Main, he, he, he had one stage, he, he used to walk around with his Bible like this, but no one knew he had a back problem. So he started praying like this, walking around, hitting his Bible. And there were a whole bunch of young guys in the church who thought, that's the new way. They walk around. They didn't know he was only doing it because he had a sore back. And when he stood up straight, their whole paradigm was shattered. I, 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 went to, I was part of a youth and... and, and, and we were called to all-night prayer. I spent some of my nights at 17, 18-year-old praying all night. 
but one or two I didn't make the whole night. And I lay, in the, lay down with my head on the floor. I just fell asleep and they left me there for four hours. No one, they're very polite Christians. They didn't wake me up. Um, and it's a very, very... And then I've had prayer meetings. We, we had we, one person phoned. I've told this story once before, but a person phoned and said, my car's just been stolen. I don't have insurance. Can you get the life group to pray? And I said, come on, guys, let's pray. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer gets things back. Prayer, I mean, God can do anything. And I said, Simon, who was this very charismatic man who used to wear colorful um, uh, safari outfits. So I said, Simon, man of faith, pray. And Simon gets up, and I can see him. He's thinking, he says, you give and take away. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's where we were going with that at all, actually. And, and, but I want to tell you about some powerful moments. I've seen a community of six, 700 get together every night and every week to pray for an eight-year-old boy with cancer. And then I've seen that community process mourning together in prayer. And there's nothing like that. I've witnessed people get jobs in times of fasting like this, who haven't job jobs for month after month, year after year, all of a sudden jobs arrive out of the blue. I've seen, finance, I've seen men who, who owe them bank hundreds of thousands of rand, and the banks sponge those, they squash those debts for no reason, because the church prays, because the church comes together. I've witnessed outpouring of generosity had a meeting where, where, where we were worshiping and, and there was a, a moment that we said, actually, can all the single moms come in the circle, in the center? And I watched our community walk up and give money that got distributed to single moms in our midst. And I said, God, I want those suddenlies of heaven that happen when the church pray. I see it through the book of Acts and I'm saying it's not, it's not, not for today. It's very much for today. So, so I am speaking about corporate prayer, but I'm also speaking about, actually, is there an appetite? And if there's not, let's get back to the word. Sometimes even a lens, like some of those little proverbs looking at friendship go, wow. And then we look at the Bible, we look at prayer again, we've got to go, wow. So why pray? Well, number one, it's pretty easy, because the Bible tells us to pray. The Bible speaks very clearly. It says, be devoted to prayer. In Romans 12. And when it speaks of the, the Acts church, this is the Acts church in Acts 2. This most amazing church. They devoted themselves. I cannot devote you. And I won't put the energy in to try to devote you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I'm a little ADD, so this is how I go. Stay with me. Rocks. And your man who I haven't even met, remind me your name, sir. Leander. They've just got engaged. And I just, I know this isn't a preach. Congratulations. It's great to me. Sorry, I'm a little bit like that. Oh, there's a bunny. Um, but we're good. So the first thing is the Bible tells us to pray. The second thing, is that the needs of our own life, the needs of your family, the needs of your church, the needs of your city, the needs of the world, and the mission of God calls us to pray. We have a living harvest. 
It's very obvious to Claudia right now, waking up, looking out, and seeing men working their whole day in their life in a concrete works, worshiping a foreign god. It's obvious that that's a living harvest, but we forget sometimes in the comfort of our lives, in the, in the routine of our lives, we forget that we have a living harvest. And God says, will you pour into me? Will you call into me? And will you spend time with me so that when I send you out, you can reap? We must remember this. And the third reason is that God acts when we pray. He acts. He does amazing things. He heals. He restores. So I want to lay out some basics. Now, how do we pray? As you can see this morning from Ed's, big Ed's dress code and my dress code, we are different. Every person is different. So there is no pray like this, wake up at this time, do this time. But there's got to be an appetite. There's got to be an appetite to spend time with our maker, to call on his name, to to, to just <coughs> be in his presence. It's not the job of pastors, friends, only. It is the job of pastors, let me just clarify. But it's not only their job. And it's not only their privilege. It's your privilege. As a son of God, with no mediator to say, stay out. Jesus came so that you can enter his presence and prayer is the most amazing way to enter in. And John Piper gives some tensions as to, well, what's a good prayer like? How do we work it? One of them is, is have free, free prayer, free prayer, and formed prayer. What does he mean? He says mean free prayer. It's just that unstructured moments of walking in presence of God. Sometimes it's on your surfboard. Sometimes it's walking on, on the mountain. Sometimes it's, it's the mom with seven kids who has to cover her head just to get sanity for a moment to pray. It's all of that. But sometimes there is structured prayer. Sometimes there's moments when we would come and, and we would shout out Ephesians 3. And we'd say, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven derives their name. And we pray scripture, and it's, it's washing over us. That's prayer. There are these amazing prayers in the scriptures that I would encourage you to get into. The second one is, as we've spoken about, there's alone time. And here's the challenge. We aren't a good generation when it comes to solitude. We're the worst. Previous generations, they would walk to work sometimes. 10 kilometers. You'd have some time on your own. TV wouldn't be going on in the background. iPads wouldn't be bleeping at you. Phones wouldn't be ringing. And there would be no such thing called WhatsApp groups. <laughs> Do I have an amen? No. Um, but, but we live in a world where solitude is not a high value. Where we could take time to be with ourselves. Why? Sometimes it's because we actually don't like being with ourselves. And God says, in that place of being alone, I want to fashion you. I want to show you the mysteries, the wonders. I want to call you back to that place of solitude. Can you find in the midst of a noisy world a place of solitude, friend? I struggle, to be brutally honest. It's not my strength. Uh, it really isn't. And yet God says, in that place, I'll whisper, and you'll hear me. And on the other side, he says, not just alone, but assemble together with the family, with the people of God. Would you come together at times, and together with corporate faith, together with life, come together and trust God to do amazing things. Both are powerful. Both are lenses. And then he would say, we would pray at times when we are desperate and times when we are delighted. Sometimes we're broken. Sometimes we're sore. Sometimes there's, it's overwhelming and we're desperate. 
Let, us, let that not be the only time we come. Unfortunately, in much of the church, that's the only time we come. And we're looking for prayer to be a blanket we can throw over fire. Where God actually says prayer is not a blanket to throw over fire. Prayer is a, is a fire starter. And Claudia Messiah says, I'm not going to speak to people. I'm going to just walk and pray for a while. That's how revivals were started. If you read books of revival, men and women went into cities and they just walked the streets and they prayed, walking the streets without saying anything. I want to see revival. Don't know about you. I want to see it in my heart. I want to see it in my city. I want to see it in our world. And prayer is an unbelievable part of it. It's explosive and extended, which means basically there are going to be times where you, it's this utterance, this gut-wrenching call out from deep without my soul to just, Jesus, I love you, and I want to be you, and I want to worship you, and I give you all the praise. And sometimes it's going to be on our knees, just systematically praying, systematically spending time worshiping him, enjoying him, speaking to him. And lastly, he gives a lens of spontaneous or scheduled. And I would say that when I look at Jesus, I see all of these. I see him calling his disciples and walking with them. And then probably on the road, say, guys, let's stop. He says, look at that view. My father made that. Look at that landscape. Let's praise him. And I imagine Jesus and his disciples stopping. And then I imagine on their journey, they walked and they, he knew there were challenges coming. He said, guys, let's pray as we enter the city. If anyone didn't need prayer, it's Jesus. You know that? He's God. And yet he loves to commune with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us. He didn't need it. He was powerful. He's the living, he's the son of God. And yet we struggle with solitude, so some of these are challenges. But I see Jesus pulls his men, his, his band of brothers, into this communal prayer. And there's these accounts in, in Acts 1. He says they were all devoting themselves to prayer, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes. All of a sudden, something amazing happens. So what happens when the church prays? And it's a story that very many of you know. I want to read it again. I apologize for the slides, but I want to read it. If you have your Bibles, can you turn to Acts chapter 12? It's the book, it's written by our doctor friend Luke, who um, penned down the details of what happened after the resurrection. It's an incredible story. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. It's not a good time. James has just been put to death with the sword. It's like, scatter, we'll get together in a couple weeks' time. Hide. It's not what they do. When, they saw, when he saw that this met the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize, to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out to public trial after the Passover. So Peter was in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. This is an impossible situation. There are soldiers, there are chains, there are prison gates. It's an impossible situation in natural terms. Suddenly, I love the word suddenly in the Bible. 
When you read the Bible, look for the word suddenly and look for the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we, get, we enjoy our liturgies and we enjoy our controlled meetings and a whole bunch. But when I look at the Bible, I see this word suddenly all over and I see the Holy Spirit doing things. And when I look at the things that He does, I say, God, I want that. But I struggle with the suddenly. God's got to call us back to His word. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel said, told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gates leading to the city. It opened for, for them by itself. And these weren't the days of electric gates. Some of you are going, yeah, my gate does that, got that. And they went through it. When they had led the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and called, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. Let's just, because I trust you know the story, but I want to take a few key points. The first one, it says the church. We're earnestly praying. Not the intercessors who, by the way, pray during our meetings. We have a team of men and women who pray during our meetings and before and during the times so that God would do stuff in our midst, soften hearts, have the suddenlies. And not just the intercessors, not just the prayer team, and not just those who've been a part of church and have a 10-year attendance certificate. The church. But let's understand that it's not those who have the extra gift of prayer. Prayer is not a gift that you get given one day. Prayer is a privilege that we get given on the first day. And verse 5 says, but they're earnestly praying. I want to just tell you that the early church... It says that, that Acts 4 verse 4 says probably well over 5,000. Peter preaches 5,000 men. So there's women and children get saved. The church is beyond 5,000. And in those days, the church didn't have facilities to meet in. So when it says the church were going, they were probably praying in more what looks like our life groups. In homes of 40s and 50s gathered. So when Peter comes back, he says he goes to the home of, of, of Mark. What's it? Yes. And uh, Mary, the mother of John, sorry, also called Mark, goes to Mary's home, which is probably a group who's praying with the church, but he speaks of the church praying as one. Now, I know we don't have a church prayer meeting in our calendar. I'm very aware of that. And here I'm speaking about corporate prayer. Yes, because I believe we should be doing it at homes all the time. I believe when friends who have Jesus at the center gather, we should pray. I believe when life groups come together on Wednesday nights, there should be moments and times of prayer. And I believe like we've had the Uniteds once a month and these prayer moments, we come together as a broader community. But when we are praying in homes and throughout the city, we are praying together. Why? Because it's the same Spirit. It's the same Father who calls us into these powerful moments of prayers and praying together. The second observation is prayer is not a safety net, but a fire starter. And, and it is that word suddenly that grips me. It's the church are praying. There's, there's a ridiculously hard scenario. Suddenly, suddenly the gates open. Suddenly God makes a way. Suddenly these other gates open. 
Maybe you need a suddenly of God. I'm telling you, there's nothing like the presence of God for the suddenlies. Three more points and then we're done. Prayer overcomes the most powerful enemy. Artie Kendall was sitting with us as the eldership of Glenn years ago. He's an amazing man. He's written over 50 books. He, he, he's been preaching for 50-something years. We said, Artie, give us, give us a challenge. He said, young man, talk more to God about men than to men about God. And I think, church, if we're being honest, we spend a lot of time talking to man about God than to God about man. And it's easy to send a tweet and go on Facebook and put a theological point. But actually, God's saying, talk to me. You want, I called you to love your enemies. You want to know how? Find it in me. Because the Bible doesn't say, if you're feeling good, love your enemies. The Bible says, love your enemies. It's not always convenient. It's not always fun. It says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, Mark, you don't know about my boss. I don't know about your boss, but the Bible says pray for him. If he's persecuting you, maybe he's just asking you to work. I don't know. <laughs> You'd have to process that one yourself. But the Bible doesn't take, it's a, it's a big standard. How? Because the Spirit of God's inside of us. If you don't even know what to pray, just begin to pray the Spirit of God will lead and show. Read the Word. Prayer opens prison doors. Are you in a prison door, sir or ma'am? Relationally? The day Jesus roll, rolled that stone away and rolled out, no longer would prison doors stay shut. The day that prison door rolled away, signaled a day and a promise that prison doors will keep rolling away for his sons and daughters who will seek him. Number five, expect miracles, just observations. Are you expecting miracles? Even this week, sir or ma'am, maybe your marriage needs a miracle. Maybe your finances need a miracle. Maybe your body or your child's body needs a miracle. It's nothing like challenges for our children to get us back on our knees to the Father as children. Nothing quite like that. And lastly, prayer and convenience are not bedfellows. This church, we're praying in the middle of the night. And maybe I maybe thought I was a little weird, like what kind of weird little teenager were you praying all night? I was a weird little teenager, that's a given. But, uh, but I, I had leaders who called me to something that wasn't comfortable for me. I had leaders who called me to something that wasn't of this world. I said, young people, when in the middle of the night your friends are getting up to all sorts, can we find ourselves on our knees trusting the King of Kings for something that's not of this world? So that's what we are doing this week, and we've taken time to process it because we want to be on the same page to pray, and, and why are we praying and feasting this week? Well, number one, we believe in the power of prayer and the discipline of prayer. We believe in it. Why are we praying this week? It's the same prayer I pray all the time. Pray for revival in hearts. I pray for revival in lives, in marriages, and in stories. I, I read James 5, Verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man, person is powerful and effective. And I'm made righteous by Jesus. So my prayers are powerful and effective. And lastly, we are trusting God for the suddenlies and the miracles of heaven. That's why we're taking this time out. So maybe you're saying, Mark, I wasn't even coming this week. If you're traveling, Tuesday to Thursday, and you can't be here. 
please pray. If possible, between half past six and half past seven. Oh, you don't know what it's like. I'm at dinner parties. Tell them it'll be half an hour late. Why? Because on his throne, there is seated a king who calls us, his people, in his church to do something that's not convenient. It's called prayer. To move jail gates open wide. To move mountains. To call on God for our nation, our lives, and our world.